Good morning, John Ray. How are you this morning? Another beautiful day. Yeah. That God has made. Is it ever not a beautiful day in your world? Um, I don't think so. Every day I get to do exactly what I love to do. Which is? Uh, God's will. Mm. There we go. And so, yeah, there's days where like I would rather sleep in more or that I, I wish I would have got to bed earlier. That's the better way to put it. Um, but every day I get to do things um, and meet people. And that's a beautiful thing for me. I like it. Yeah. It's, uh, it is a beautiful life. And I'm very privileged that God has called me to it. Did you have a good Mother's Day? Yes. I got to, uh, after the 1030 Mass, we crowned our Blessed Mother, Our Lady uh, Fatima, that statue in our foyer area. We'll talk about that. But after I went to my aunt's house where we all kind of gathered and we had a big Mother's Day lunch, kind of going into mid-afternoon, we got her, I got her a dozen pink roses and a cheesecake from Rufino's because I think Rufino's has the best cheesecake in, in Lafayette. Is this a thing? What? The best cheesecake in Lafayette? So I have a sweet tooth and I really like desserts. That's why I never eat them because it won't stop. But cheesecake, if I go to somewhere and they have cheesecake for dessert, most likely I'm going to get it if I haven't gotten it before because I'm just a Cheesecake connoisseur. Mm. And so uh, the best cheesecake in the world is Irene's in New Orleans. Irene, she knows what, and I tried to get that recipe from her, boy, she would not let me have it. That woman. So, uh, but outside of Irene's in New Orleans, the best cheesecake I've ever had, I think, is Rufino's, uh, their cheesecake. And I'm giving them a plug. So Interesting. Yeah. That. So if anybody from Rafino's is listening, we will take a sponsorship. Yes. Uh, there's a ricotta cheesecake. It's fantastic. So I've, I've made several different types of cheesecakes, um, and I, I, I really like cheesecakes. So I asked my mom what she wants, and she says, I want, uh, I want, I want a dessert. I said, what about a cheesecake? She said, that's it. That's perfect. And I said, okay. And so my, my siblings chipped in, and they all got her something, too, on this side. Uh, so, but we put together for those dozen roses, pink roses. We have a few parishioners that, that are florists and mm. they own a few shops. So we want to get a dozen pink roses for her and, uh, and then that cheesecake. Nice. Sounds like a great day. Oh, it was, I think it was great. You know, my mama was happy. She had all the, she had all the that's all the mamas want. They want all the kids. They all want to go to church and they just want to be with each other. That's, that's what mamas want. Yep. And then, uh, of course, I, I went to a few houses over uh, Sunday. And uh, I, the last one I went to, we all prayed a rosary together because that's what Mama wanted for, for Mother's Day. Mm. And uh, so I got to pray a rosary um, with a few different families and stuff. And that was, that was really beautiful. That's cool. How appropriate it is to celebrate Mother's Day on the weekend that we talk about the sacrament of marriage. Yes. The sacrament of marriage did you plan it that way? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I really didn't, because uh, I was the one that formed the schedule for the preaching series. I know that's why I asked. No, I uh, what I did was I looked at all the readings over the course of the Easter season, and uh, I said, okay, which readings fit best where? 
And some of them were kind of very easy, right? So for confirmation, of course, we're going to put that with uh, Pentecost Sunday. Sure. And then, of course, for, um, for confession, we're going to put that with Divine Mercy Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter. And, and the rest of them, they kind of indirectly or directly brought up sacraments. And so I just kind of plugged them in. There was like two of them, I think, that like it was hard to find. They, I couldn't find a direct connection. So I literally just put them where they, uh, you know, there was an open weekend. And so, okay, we're talking about that one, this one. Is that what you did for this weekend? Yes. Yeah. And I was like, man, the readings really didn't, I mean, keep my commandments, but you know. But yeah, it was Mother's Day weekend. We're talking about marriage. You see how God provides even, <laughs> even when we don't know about it? Because I had no idea. Yeah. But it worked out fantastic. And uh, Our Lady of Fatima was Saturday. We crowned our Blessed Mother, Fatima. Uh, this on the 1030 mass after. And that was a huge thing because uh, Our Lady of Fatima and one of her visions uh, said that the final battle will be over the family. And so to talk about marriage um, was ironic in that way too. St. Pius, the parish, is actually a mission of our uh, Fatima parish in Lafayette, which I had no idea about. Is it still? I don't think so. I don't so. think it's still. I don't think it started it off started that way. It started as a mission. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for our listeners, whenever a parish grows, right, we're talking about when the diocese was kind of founded, Our Lady of Fatima Parish was established, and then they would have a number of priests there, but they would have mission parishes where, okay, like once a week, they'd have go have mass over at that parish, and they'd go and baptize, do weddings at that parish and stuff like that. We have a number of parishes like that in our diocese right now where this is the main um parish or main church and then they'll have like two or three mission parishes so that's kind of how saint Pius started now <laughs> we're definitely not a mission parish anymore they don't they don't celebrate the sacraments once a week over here so uh but that's how it started that's why we got someone donated that our lady of fatima statue um and so we we crowned her after the 1030 Mass, the May crowning, May is dedicated to Mary. So we crown Mary, a uh, statue of Mary, kind of in honor, a very symbolic, right? Mary was crowned Queen of Heaven uh, in the book of Revelation. And so here on earth, trying to imitate heaven the best we can in our liturgy, um, we crown Mary, usually with flowers or a crown. Uh, so our statue does have a crown. But we first we just crowned her with flowers, and then we'll we'll put the crown on her whenever we move her. We're gonna move her into the slot where Saint Pius the Tenth statue is, uh, right behind the pulpit, and then Saint Pius the Tenth will be moved inside our gathering area. And so that'd be kind of cool. Um, that Saint Pius will be more present, I guess, for people to see and stuff like that. He actually has some relics in front of him. I don't know what we're gonna do with those relics. I think we should build them into the base of where he's going to be at. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad like idea. Like a little reliquary. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that? Reliquary. Yeah. That, that reliquary is where you hold relics. So not a bad idea, but to kind of keep those, those you need uh, to get us a relic of the cross. Of the true cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, I, I can. You need to get us one of those. I know. I know several. I know. I definitely know people that have them. If you and, get us a relic of the cross, I will have a cross. Um, made 
to hold that relic that we can use on Good Friday. Yeah, that's what we did for um, our first seminary at St. Ben's, St. Joseph Abbey Seminary College, where is the Benedictine monks. They have a relic of the true cross. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a family, uh, a, they're kind of private, uh, but they're the largest, uh, how do you say this, kind of Catholic dealers in, in North America. They don't have a website. Everything is, you have to go there in person. But they have like, for as an example, they have probably a thousand relics in their kitchen. Wow. And that's, and that's just the kitchen. They, had, they just had to put it there. Everywhere else is full. So I, I, I know them. They would be able to, I know a, a priest uh, that definitely has a relic. Of, I know two priests that definitely have relics of the True Cross. You'd, we'd go into their rooms in the seminary and we'd joke that you'd have to genuflect every time you go in there because <laughs> you genuflect with the relic of the true cross. Yeah. So every time you went in there, you had to genuflect. Yeah. Kind of kind of funny. So, yeah, I, I can. Uh, it, it won't be impossible. I know where to go, or at least I know who to ask. There you go. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to task you with that. We were sitting around at Mother's Day last night talking about um, how often in our society a a young couple gets engaged and they get married and everybody applauds the the and is in awe of the the love that that couple has right Mm because you know not tainted yet (laughs) um and my mother-in-law said uh but how often do we applaud the couple that's been married for 60 something years and their hands are wrinkled and their fingers are twisted and they're still holding hands and holding each other up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I try to, I try to give anytime I do a wedding and I'm, and I preach, I try to give uh, a little hat tip. Uh, I take off my hat to the married couples that have, that have been married that long because it not, uh, maybe not like um, tainted love, but purified love. Tainted probably wasn't the, yeah. Purified is a great word. Yeah. Purified. Um, I often, uh, I often joke with people like, you know, um, they send you guys off for eight years of formation to live by yourselves and they, (laughs) they send us on a weekend encounter to live with another broken, sinful person and to bring more people into the world who will be broken and sinful. You know, we got to figure that out. Um, we used to do a vocations challenge. Do we still do that? We still do, but the vocations challenge is through the school. Okay. So we kind of, every, every week for the school mass, we'll have the, the classes, we'll take the vocation chalice and kind of switch it around. Okay, that's cool. Um, I, I, I used to say that uh, we should give out a gold-plated plunger too to the married <laughs> couples so where we could pray for holy marriages. Yeah. The, uh, I, marriages is, I love preaching about marriage. I mean, I do it often. I mean, with my, with my weddings that mm-hmm. I do. And so to constantly kind of be trying to do a deep dive into marriage and what makes a marriage holy, how to keep a marriage intact, how to recover a marriage. Um, and then, of course, working with married couples, not only like in good situations, right? I'm, um, I'm helping marriage, uh, wedding couples or married couples uh, prepare for to be the first mentor couple for a young couple. And but also to kind of help couples bounce back from whatever they're, they're going through. Healthy marriages, holy marriages, are probably the biggest 
security blanket or the biggest, um, how can I put this, encouragement for priests? Mm. I would say that. Like a priest constantly being exposed to good, healthy, holy marriages. Like that's probably the biggest encouragement for priests. Because that's Why what, that? well, that's what we, that's what we're working for. That's, I mean, that's legitimately everything we do is for that, right? Because everyone is called to marriage. Everyone that is created is called to marriage. What God does, God hand selects people from that vocation to, to kind of lead those vocations. So God will hand select people to not get married, to either become priest or to become religious. And so that's where the religious vocation is called from. But by, from ground zero, everyone is called to marriage. And so the religious vocations are meant to help and serve and encourage that. So while people, are there, are people often say like the best thing for their marriage, or at least they tell me this, right, is whenever they have a good priest in the parish, man, I mean, it makes the marriage so much easier because they can talk about things or they, you know, at, things are better off when they have a good holy priest in the parish. But the good holy priest is so much more sanctified when the, the couples in his parish are good and holy. And different saints kind of, they have different maxims on this, right? So like, the, it's so funny to read these the saints on this because they'll say like, they'll be heavy handed on the priest. And they'll say, the priest you know, despite everything, they need to climb that mountain, they need to ascend to the top, and they need to lead people no matter what, give their life, you know. And so it's a real heavy hand on the priest overcoming everything. But then they'll flip it, and then there'll be the heavy hand on the, the couples. And they'll say, look, if you don't have a good holy priest, well, then it's most likely because there's no good holy uh, couples mm-hmm. in the parish. The, the parish gets what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two-sided coin with them. But yeah. to both call to call both vocations forward. Uh, but I, I really like that, that uh, for both sides of it. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, holy marriages make holy families. Mm-hmm. Holy families create holy priests. Yes. In fact, there's a famous story with St. Pius X that uh, whenever he was made Pope, St. Pius X, after he was elected Pope, uh, his mother came to him and she kissed his ring. And then she stood up because you, you kneel when you kiss the Pope's ring. She stood up and she says, now you kiss my ring because without this one, you would never have that one. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the famous story with St. Pius X and, and his. Interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So what makes marriage a sacrament? Marriage is a natural vocation. Mm-hmm. So we should talk a little bit about that. When we say a natural vocation, that means that human societies throughout history and every age has tended toward marriage, where uh, a man and a woman come together monogamously and they try to have kids if they can and then raise them to be good citizens. That is a very natural thing for humanity. 
if you put a bunch of people on an island with no information about anything, right? You just kind of, they just kind of plop there. Marriage would naturally happen. Naturally happen. From there, God creates a sacrament. And it's important. That's why couples can be married without praying. It's not a supernatural vocation by its nature. Like, for instance, if a priest does not pray, he will not stay. Priesthood makes no sense if you detach it from God. Mm. Priesthood makes absolutely no sense if you don't pray and you detach it from the supernatural. But marriage, not so much, because marriage is a very natural thing. Priesthood is a supernatural thing. And so their, their vocation to marriage, that's why people can stay married and like never pray. Right? And in fact, it's, we have to encourage couples to pray because you can remain married without praying. Now, it won't be holy. It won't be sanctifying. But it may not be life-giving. Yeah, it won't be life. So, it may be miserable. Yeah, and so we have to encourage couples to pray, but you can definitely stay married and not pray. For a priest, you either won't stay or the fact that you do stay will cause a lot of damage. Right? You get bitter priest, angry priest. Egotistical priest. Yeah, you get, you get a whole bunch of stuff. But that's because it's a supernatural vocation. Um, so this natural vocation to marriage, natural calling to marriage, was raised to the level of a sacrament by Christ. Now, a sacrament communicates God's love, his grace. So when people become a walking sacrament, that's what ma- marriage is, right? You become a walking sacrament with that. Keeping your marriage vows will make you a saint. Guaranteed. There's no secret about that. And so if you're wondering how to be a saint in your marriage, pray your marriage vows every day. And then you got it. If you keep your marriage vows, you will become a saint. That because it's a sacrament. That's God's promise. And so whenever a, a sacrament communicates God's love, a man knows he's loved by God when his wife loves him. And on the flip side, a woman knows she's loved by God when her husband loves her. And they experience God's love in that way. So a man will know how God loves him, primarily by the way his wife loves him. And same thing, a wife will know primarily how God loves her by the way that her husband loves her. Because they're a sacrament, it communicates God's love. So the way you love your spouse is way more important than just the way how you love your spouse. It's primarily how God loves. And so that's why couples can really struggle with the idea that God loves them because maybe their spouse is not loving them the way that they should. The vows of marriage. And even if, I mean, if marriage is a sacrament, right? And the sacrament is what leads us to holiness and sainthood. It would make sense that there would be a battle around that, that there would be Mm -hmm. a tug of war around that, that, that the enemy would attack that. Oh yeah. And so on the note of 
maybe your spouse isn't loving you like God loves you or whatever, right? Um, and, and maybe that is the way that you achieve holiness, right? Because you're not, you don't experience the love the way that maybe you want to experience the love or you should experience the love, right? And you continue to love anyway. Yes, the, the fact that couples are still getting married is de facto proof that God still loves the world because he has a desire that society continue. If he does not have a desire that society continue, then he just won't allow marriage anymore. Mm. At St. John Chrysostom, I have this quote that I, that I have, um, that I read at weddings. St. John Chrysostom, who was nicknamed the Golden Tongue, lived around the 4th century. Uh, the Golden Tongue because he's known as the greatest preacher to ever live. Uh, he said that the love of husband and wife is the very force that welds society together. The very force that welds society together. Holy families make holy neighborhoods. Holy neighborhoods makes a holy city. Holy cities make a holy state. Holy states make a holy country. Holy countries make a holy world. It's a grassroots thing. Was it John Paul II that said, or did I just make this up? That as goes the family, so goes society? Yes. And he's right. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to destroy the world, you destroy families. Well, and then look around at the world today, and you can begin to understand how crucial marriage is as a sacrament. We said it. You don't have your vocation without holy marriages. Whether, with, without holy marriages that are then holy families, whether it's your family or not, right? Not every priest comes from a holy family. I would argue that every priest was formed by a holy family. There mm -hmm. was an there was a an attraction to their vocation because of an experience with a holy family, even oh, yeah. if it wasn't their own. Go all the way down to the arguments that we're having in society today about whether a boy is a boy or a girl is a girl, right? That's an attack on marriage. It's not oh, an yeah, attack on the individual because if the enemy can blur the lines in such a way that I no longer know who I am, well, then I can't live out who I'm supposed to be and the vocation that I've been called to be. And the family begins to disintegrate. And when the family begins to disintegrate, the world no longer loves, knows God's love. Yes. Because God, this community of persons, marriage becomes the mirror image of who God is and how he loves. Yes. Our Lady of Fatima said that the final battle will be over the family. This no-fault divorce that originated in the uh, 60s, this um, plague of contraceptives, this plague of pornography, this plague of, uh, especially now, the transgender movement, um, this plague of uh, homosexual unions, uh, all extreme attacks on marriage. And look, I want our listeners to know the fact that Catholics are getting married outside the church, that it's not a sacramental marriage, that they're getting married, I don't know where, you know, on a golf course or, you know, on the beach, you know, something like that, where, it's no, where God's not involved in it. That's an attack on marriage. And it's not, it's not ironic that that's grown so much. 
because people no longer see that God's involved in their marriage or in their relationship. They may say it. They may give lip service. No, no, yeah, God's totally, uh, you know, God, God exists and he's, uh, he may be involved in my marriage, but they don't see God as being the very force that welds their relationship together. They don't see that God brought them two together and that God will keep them together. And look, in a few weeks, Alicia and I are going to celebrate 18 years of marriage. If God wasn't part of that, I would think that she would say the same thing that I'm about to say. I think we would have both walked away a long time ago. You know, like, I think we have a great marriage. And there are moments where our own brokenness and sin gets in the way. You know, and if God wasn't part of our marriage, my brokenness and sin, I would have walked, you know, um, there in moments, mm-hmm. you know, but because, because we pray and because we invite God into our marriage and all of that, you know, like we can get clarity around, oh wait, that's not what really happened there. That's just how I made it up in my head. You yeah. Know? It's, um, of course I'm very passionate about all the sacraments and marriage is, is no exception because my life has been impacted so deeply and still continues to be impacted so deeply by married couples with their, with their kids, if God has graced them with it. Because their holy marriage inspires me, because it means that on some level, we're doing something right. And... I mean, look, dads feel that all the time, man. It's like, I'm doing all this work, man. I really hope I'm doing something right. But whenever I, I experience holy families, families that are together and they're happy, they're healthy, it, that's de facto proof for me that we're doing something right. And what is a happy, healthy, holy marriage? Well, your wedding vows. First, permanency. It's lifelong. Till death do us part. We brought up before this case of annulments. Annulments uh, is not a Catholic divorce. As Catholics, we don't believe in divorce. Annulments say that a marriage never happened. Right? And, and there's different grounds for it. And I say different, I mean, there's got to be at least 30. Right? I'm, just, I'm just saying. And so we, we can't go through all of them. But... Grounds for an annulment cover a multitude of things, but it all states that a marriage never happened. And that could be because of lack of uh, knowledge, right? This person changed after our wedding or this, okay, um, I was forced into this marriage or I was pressured into it. Um, I was not in my right state of mind whenever I was there or I was too immature, I was drunk, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So. The permanency of it is till death do us part. Jesus Christ, what, what man has, what uh, God has joined together, let no one put us under. So the permanency of it, and it reflects God's permanent love with us. Because it's a sacrament, it reflects God. And with this permanency, it reflects that God's love for us is permanent, that he does not abandon us, despite my weakness. So this permanent love till death do us part. Uh, the fruitfulness. Uh, a, a good definition for marriage is that which unites men and women to one another and to any children that may proceed from their union. This fruitful aspect of God's love 
shows itself in the fruitful love of married couples. Now, fruitful love in their own relationship with each other, their own fruitfulness with other married couples and, and their family and friends, but then also in children. I say these other things first because there are times where couples try to get pregnant and they just can't. That doesn't mean that their love's not fruitful. But a primary way that couples' love is fruitful is by children. One of the ends of marriage is that they repopulate the earth so that humanity continues. And the church never says how many kids to have. It's never said that. Because that's an extraordinarily personal decision. Right? And so to have a blanket law like that, that's, that's just not living in reality. Um, but the church says you have to be open to life. And there's three requirements. Or there's three different things that would stop you from, from having a child, which would be financial health. You legitimately can't afford it. And I don't mean you can't buy them a car as soon as they turn 15 or whatever. In a very real way, you and your spouse cannot afford another child. Y'all would be homeless. Um, the other one would be physical health, the physical health of either the mom or the dad. It'd be life-threatening. Or mental health, which is a big one for a lot of couples. That The mental strain, I know couples that have, have kids, but anytime you know, they're pregnant, the kids, have, like, they almost get a divorce, right? I mean, it's, it's on, like, the, the breaking edge of it. And it's just every single time it has been excruciating beyond belief. It's like, well, that's mental health, right? So uh, financial health, physical health, mental health, those would be reasons that you refrain from having another child. But if it's not one of those things, be fruitful and multiply. Right, have kids. Whether it's one kid, whether it's ten kids, it's not a comparison thing, right? The couple with ten kids is not a better Catholic couple than the couple with one kid. That's not. I know people can fall into that trap, but that's not the real thing. That'd be like saying I'm a better priest than this other priest because my parish is bigger. That's that's ridiculous. No, that's that's completely ridiculous. That's not living in reality. And so you're not a better couple because you have more kids. That the point, though, is that you're open to life and that you let God have a say in it, with it. So the fruitfulness and then the faithfulness. God is faithful to his creation. The couple is faithful to each other. Not just physically, but emotionally as well. There's boundaries past just the physical. Are you emotionally chaste? Are you emotionally faithful? And that's huge. Couples can just focus on the physical aspect of it, but Jesus says adultery in the heart is adultery. So to actually have a, a, a single-minded heart devotion to your spouse. So those are the three promises of marriage. And free. And free. So yeah, fourth. freely and wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yes. So you free, can't, total, faithful, and free. Mm -hmm. You have it's got so there's no such thing as shotgun wedding. I've never seen a shotgun wedding. Uh, I've heard about them, but like a shotgun wedding is just for our listeners a country term uh, that like you know. And they did that in Scott. Yeah, they, he grew uh, up in Scott. Yeah, 
that all of our weddings were shotgun weddings. Huh? <laughs> well, like the the man was forced to marry the the girl because you know the dad of the the woman had a shotgun and say, "If you don't marry my daughter, it's the end." <laughs> so it yeah, it has to be free and wholehearted. And if you listen to the wedding vows, free, total, faithful, and fruitful, they, the vows mirror God's love, mm-hmm. right? God gives his love freely to us. It comes with no strings attached. He totally gives himself all of who he is to us. His love is fruitful. Without his love, we have no life. And his love is faithful. Even when I betray him, he is going to be faithful to me. And that is the mirrored vow. Yes. Uh, I was having a conversation with a couple, and this stuck out to me so much. This couple is a very holy couple that I know, and if they're listening, they're gonna they're gonna hit me for saying that they're a holy couple, but they are. Um, he, uh, they were talking, and he told me uh, that I was sitting with the both of them, and he said, "I remember, like when we got married, they uh, like." however many years ago, 20 years ago or something like that, they asked us in marriage prep, like, what would you do if, uh, if he cheated on you, right? Is asking the wife this. And she kind of just sat there and she says, well, I think we'd have to have a conversation about how it happened and that, uh, so that we, it never happens again. And uh, that's where we'd start. And I, I was blown away by that. Because now you just hear the the total extreme on the mm-hmm. other side, you know. But from the get go, this couple knew that it's it's permanent, and that there's nothing that would separate them. Not even something like that—a breaking of a vow, which is extreme, right? But for her, she's like, "I'm in it," and uh, if he's not in it right now. Well, then we need to call it off. But I'm in it, and 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 he was in it too. And I, yeah. So I mean, like right there, that that automatically just makes me as a priest take my own vocation much more seriously, or uh, more seriously, hopefully, um, because I see these these couples and how serious they take their marriage and and the call to holiness. And it's and they weren't. And it's not like they're pointing a finger at anybody. It's just like the, the standard they hold to themselves is noticeable. So that's very inspiring for me. Yeah. So if you're a married couple or a couple thinking about being married, I guess the best advice that Father and I can give is pray together. Make God the center of your, your marriage, the center of your family. Um, because your marriage, your family speaks so much to the world about who God is and how he loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, couples, as sacramentally married, are walking sacraments and proof that God wants humanity to continue and God desires holy families. Every single married couple is a walking example of that. Mm. As St. John's Chrysostom said, um, the love of husband and wife is the very force that welds societies together. I like that. 
if your marriage is struggling, if you're struggling in your marriage, know that we're praying for you. Please reach out. We would love to walk with you in that and pray with y'all in that, chat with y'all in that, because we believe in your marriage, and we believe your marriage still has something to say to the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, uh, be sure to share it with a friend. Like us and follow us on your podcast listener of choice. We look forward to seeing you this weekend. God bless you.